I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to My Millennial Property with John Pigeon and Emily Wallace. Emily, building a portfolio of 10 to 15 properties, excite you or scare you? Bit of both, to be honest. Mm. That's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot of properties, but the upside is massive. We're going to thrash this out today, what we need to look out for when building a huge portfolio. Let's do it. Let's deep dive. I think there's a lot to unpack in this one. Okay, so you read in the magazines, or oh, I used to anyway, people don't probably read magazines. What's a magazine? <laughs> you see it online. Yeah. 100 properties in 20 minutes, like all these big headlines, like I've, I've retired when I was 24 and, uh, and, and these big headlines. And, uh, and when I first started investing, Emily, it really excited me to read those things because whether they were true or not, hopefully they were, but they motivated me and they excited me to say, wow, if someone out there's done it, I reckon I can do the same sort of thing. And that was the sometimes the, all the motivation you needed to just keep on going on your journey, on your wealth creation journey. And, and this obviously is in the residential property space, but wanted to chat today about the pros and cons and what to look out for when you're building a multi-property portfolio. Because when you hear 10 or 15 properties or 20 properties or the numbers are relevant, to be honest, but when you hear that in today's times where the price of property is so expensive. You're like, well, how can that absolutely be it? possible? Yeah. yeah. So when I asked you the question off the bat, you mm-hmm. said I'm a little bit scared about that. So tell me about that. Well, it probably comes from the fact that it sounds like a lot, mm. number one, it's a lot of properties. And number two, I currently have a few investment properties and when they're under control, they're under control. But when things pop up, it's a domino effect. Like something happens to this one, then that one, and it's like putting fires out. At the moment, they're all good, touch wood. But I just know the the struggle that can come when things go wrong. And so that's probably where my little scared bit comes in. And also an element of, do I need 15? More about, do I actually need that many? And I think that's where I wanted to start today was, well, what is your long-term goal? And, and, and is it the numbers that excite you or is it just the overall wealth of property and leveraging your money into a, a certain dollar amount that'll perform at X percent per annum? So like, and I did, I did an example, I did some preparation today for once actually. Um, I, I did 10 properties at $300,000. So obviously there's so many variables in that, like where do I find a $300,000 property? How quickly am I going to buy them? But run with me for the minute and say, right, if I've got 10 properties at uh, 300000 that's $3 million of portfolio in residential property. And we can go on and say, well, maybe we need to diversify into shares or super or commercial property and everything else. And absolutely we do, but that would ruin my episode today. <laughs> it We're would just ruin. talking about property for the purpose of the property podcast. Residential, <laughs> yeah. So, so um, when you look at $3 million worth of property, you could say, well, is it easier just to buy three $1 million properties? That's where my mind goes to. 
And yeah. logistically, absolutely it is. Yeah. One of them might be yours to live in and the other two might be investment properties and they might not be a million each but you get the figure. But mm-hmm. when I first started, I looked at $2 million as the target. So, and my maths around that were if my portfolio is growing at 5% per annum, that means my portfolio is growing by 100000 a year, mm-hmm. 2 mil times yep. by 5%. Yep. On the 3 mil at 5%, that's one hundred and fifty k a year. So you're creating a good amount of wealth in there. So why wouldn't everyone do it? The first part of it is, do I want it? And what do I want long term? And how quickly do I want that? So I'm sitting here at, say, age 25 like you are, um, <laughs> and I want to retire in 20 years. It might take me 10 years to build that portfolio and then the other 10 to create the wealth from the fruits of my labour. 45, I've got it done and live happily ever after. That's the bit where I struggle because I'm in build phase at the moment, right? I'm in accumulation phase. Yes. Logistically in my mind, I can process it. At some point, I will reap the rewards. But because I'm not yet really seeing it, it's hard to have motivation to want to go and get more properties when it, it's at the moment it's work. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, there's in the game of AFL, there's four quarters. And in the first quarter, you can't actually see what the result's going to be. But by three quarter time, you're like, hang on a minute, we're, we're on here. We've, uh, we've had we're three good solid quarters. So that acquisitions phase in investing is, is first quarter before half time where we can't really see the fruits. But then all of a sudden, we, we have a break and then we come out after half time and all of a sudden this portfolio has grown to something that we never imagined was possible. And that's when we say, yeah, wow, this thing really works. I wish I'd actually bought more. Yes. But at the moment in time where a lot of people listening might be is I've got a portfolio and I haven't really seen it grow to the, to the level that knocks my socks off, but I've just got to have faith that I've bought well. I think a lot of that comes back to the delayed gratification yes. process. And we're impatient, aren't we? Yeah, we all are. Mm. You know, the lifestyle that most of us have makes us impatient. So to wait 10 years to see a return of, you know, what we want to see is a long time when you're in it. Yes. But I also think when you look back on it, as you rightly said, you know, we should bought more. Mm. So I think one of the biggest things I'd personally do is look to people who have done it. Yes. Who's done it? Who's gone through it? Like anything in life, you want to learn something and understand the process and how it works, go to someone who's done it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Get a mentor. Funny story. I don't know if we're buddies on LinkedIn or not. but Probably. <laughs> I hope <laughs> we so. Put, uh, we put some marketing out last week about oh, yeah. Train the Trainer because we're training Oh, I saw it. We are, we are buddies on we're LinkedIn because I saw cool. it, yeah. yeah. Anyway, someone commented um, and said, just out of interest, can you tell me your total wealth? I saw um, that comment. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. Tell me how much your prop portfolio is worth and yeah. what your net profit of the portfolio is worth. Yeah. I'm like, oh. Did great, you reply to great that? Great question. I did. Yeah. I, I said, look, to be honest, the first part of that, the growth, the wealth of my portfolio is something that I've never imagined was possible when I first started. Yeah. But the net profit is less than what I would like it to be. Yeah. Which gives me the ability to look back and teach others to have a different mm. strategy, I suppose. And yeah. gives, that's the whole experience thing. And it, that was off track, but the what property can do in 20 years is astounding. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to get across today. Mm. Not necessarily the number of properties, but just to for people to understand, I buy a property year one, 
I sit on it for five years and you might think, wow, nothing's changed. Like it hasn't defined my life because it's all there in, in um, equity or, or paper value mm-hmm. and it's not a massive amount. And then all of a sudden two years later you wake up and, and there's another 500000 in your bottom line as a, as a paper value amount. And it's like, okay, now we're making inroads because most people's super over a lifetime is maybe only that and we've created that in five years or seven years or whatever it may be. So it, it is a patience game unfortunately but knowing what you want at the end is the really important part. Risk profile is probably the main part of all of this. Am I up for the challenge of 10, 12, 14, 15 properties? I also think it depends in what formation they come in. So when you said 15 and, and when I've actually read articles of these like I saw one literally just last week it was 30 properties by the age of 30 and it was legit yeah found this guy on Instagram yeah and it turns out that some of those were a townhouse development where there's five townhouses five on the bottom. you know like it's yeah. to me that's that's one acquisition as such you yeah. build five so yes. is it 15 individual is it like even the apartment block I live in, my landlord is sitting on an absolute gold mine. He owns all 12 apartments, brand new. <laughs> We're all paying ridiculous rent. The cash flow on it's insane. So if it was in that form, to me, that feels more manageable. If it's in one place, I don't know if that's just a mindset thing or a risk thing. Yeah, well, you'd look at it two ways. You'd say, well, it's a hell of a lot easier to manage because it's one complex and one property manager essentially. But on the other hand, it has lack of diversification because they're yeah. basically same assets in the same location in the same building. If the growth is extraordinary in that suburb for that asset, then he's kicking goals. If it's not, then it can be, be sitting still. But uh, I suppose the, the mechanics around it is when I worked out the $3 million portfolio or 10 properties at 300K, I'm assuming a 10% deposit plus stamps. So that's 45 grand that we need in deposits and costs for that each property. We've got to look at our own situation and say, how quickly can we save 45 grand? And for some people, that might be six months or 12 months. For others, it might be five years. So if you're on the ladder and say it's going to be five years, it's going to be hard to build a portfolio of 10 or 15 properties. Yes. So we've got to change our, our strategy on that. But if we're someone that can save 50 grand every six months or 12 months, then that's something that is possible for you because the only thing stopping you then is the ability for the banks to lend you money and your risk profile, your mindset. Yeah, and also, I mean, when you talk about how quickly can you save, it's also what lifestyle factors you're willing to adjust to save faster as well. Yeah, What that's inconvenience right. are you willing to take in the interim to build that deposit up quicker? Yes, yeah, and I suppose what I'm saying when I'm when we say right, we can save forty five grand every six months is I'm living my lifestyle okay, and I just save because I can, sort of thing. Good saver. Yeah, because yep. I don't think we want a situation. Well, personally, I don't think we want a situation where we're just on baked beans and water for twelve years to build this portfolio to say I've got fifteen properties. Doesn't when sound fun. I don't get to enjoy it for it's delayed gratification at its worst, isn't it? Yeah, it just doesn't sound fun at all and you've got to live your life too, you you know. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So let's talk about serviceability because that's the number one thing that stops people from investing further is either the lack of equity in in their first few properties or the bank's ability to lend you extra money because your income's not high enough to service. And in most cases, 
what the banks will do is they'll only take into account 80% of the rental income that you're getting on your investment properties. So you think about that for a minute and say, well, if I've got five properties and they're only taking into account 80% of each of them, I better have some pretty strong rents to be able to keep borrowing money or a really high income that's continually growing. Yeah. So that's why the numbers aren't great. And I, I don't know the stats. They change all the time, but it's like 1% own four properties or more or something. So There's th- a real, I mean, there's a barrier between one and two, let alone getting from, you know, three to four and beyond. There's the numbers start to drop yeah. a lot. And you're so right, serviceability versus that balance of the 80% rent or your potential income, it got to cap out somewhere, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Absolutely. So, yeah, the servicing is the big barrier for a lot of people. So if you're listening in saying, well, my servicing's strong, my income's going to increase, I can save good money Mm -hmm. and I've got a great risk profile, then you're in the top category that says, well, yeah, I can build a portfolio if I want to. If you're sitting there saying, well, my income's, I suppose, average, I can't save that amount quick enough and my risk profile's just okay then it's probably something that you're not likely to be doing. You might just go and get your one, two, three properties and be happy with that and diversify into other assets that easier attainable because their entry level is much lower. And outside of risk profile, it might just be more a preference for some people that they prefer little bits, you know, add little bits of money into something that's investing that's not property at a time as opposed to a chunk in one hit. Yeah. You know, it can be a lot of people actually struggle with seeing the money coming out of their account when they do buy. That's one of the biggest things. It's like I had all this money I worked towards and now I'm starting from scratch again. Yeah, because they've seen it growing consistently. Yeah. And now it's just been wiped from their system, hasn't it? Yeah. In one it's a bit deflating. Like it's actually a great achievement that you've bought. But on the other hand, some people come away feeling really deflated, like, oh, what's all that money is gone. Well, it's not gone, it's gone into something that's a great yeah. investment, but I yeah. don't get to enjoy it just now. Yeah. So mm. there's a preference thing that comes into play as well there. Yeah, absolutely. So again, you might be listening in saying, well, where can we buy $300,000 properties? Mm. Do tell us, John. (laughs) It's probably not happening in (laughs) Melbourne or Adelaide. Absolutely not happening in Melbourne. Brisbane or Perth or wherever else. And and the question mark around the growth potential of those properties is, um, is another factor. So we know that we can go and buy, let's take regional Victoria, for example. Sure. I could go and buy in regional locations with, 15, 20,000 people. Yep. So not small, but not huge. Uh, I could go and buy a 300K property there today, quite comfortably. It'd be a house, it'd be three bedroom weatherboard, a brick, and, and have a backyard. And like Horsham? Probably Horsham. Yep. yep. That's, I could definitely buy a property there for 300K. <laughs> so let's run the numbers on something like that. The growth potential, if you look back over time, it's probably three to 5% annual growth. So not outstanding, but not sitting still either. Um, and if it's getting $300 a week, which give or take it should, that's roughly 15 grand per annum of income against a mortgage of 270K at 6%, which is 16,200 per annum. So that's interest only. So the mortgage is costing us $1,200 more than our gross income, take off insurances, rates, etc. So this property might cost us three to four grand a year. Right. So if we put that together with 10 properties, 
now we're talking 30 to 40 grand than it might. So we need to then say, right, one of two things need to change. Our running costs need to decrease, which we, we're not the RBA, so we can't just say, right, 6% when we're only paying four, or our rent needs to be higher on the way in. So that's where our strategy needs to change a little bit. So we need to maybe buy something in a small location with a higher rent, lower price or smaller land components so we're not paying as much for the land. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. You so, want to have them all the same because you've got you've got no diversity in that's where you can right. pull your levers from. One can one can sort of support another in a way. Yeah, that's right. And then you've got issues if you're buying them all in the one location. You've got land tax implications as well if you're staying in the same state. So there needs to be some diversification across states over the journey. I would have thought, but yeah, on the outset it's possible, but a few stars need to align for that to happen the income, the servicing, the mindset are probably your biggest three. But what do we need to think about that can go wrong with that? Because there's more things going to go wrong. So first of all, property manager, we're probably going to have eight to 10 of them. Now, there's some issues there if all eight are trying to get hold of us at once, trying to approve some maintenance issues that are going on five of those properties. Now, you mentioned at the start, sometimes you have weeks where there might be a couple going at once. So it's a there's a bit of time consumed outside of your busy life just on your portfolio. Yeah, for some reason, my routine inspections seem to be all at similar times. And so mm. off the back of that, yeah. the maintenance, one wants a security door put in, one needs a drawer fix. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. So like it's not end of the world stuff, but it just feels like it can come in waves. And particularly for those who, you know, work a full-time job or they're running a business, like it's just another thing. Yeah, that's right. Add it to the list. So it's a mindset thing as well yeah. as a logistics thing Yeah, to say, right, we need to recruit good property managers and we need to give them the authority to say, well, if it's under $200, go and fix it, right, or something like that. You've got to set some, some standards in place that don't mean that they're contacting you every second day. So if you've got good property managers, that's the first part of it. But you need to understand also, if we've got eight or 10 properties, we've got eight or 10 hot water tanks. We've got eight or 10 toilets. We've got eight or 10... I'd hope more eight or, more than eight or 10 <laughs> maybe, toilets. Maybe, 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 maybe 20 toilets. toilets. <laughs> <laughs> but more things can go wrong. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, with volume comes volume of problems. It's mm. yeah, you amplify it the more you have. So is it easier to buy one six hundred K property versus two three hundred K property? This is such a common question too, isn't it? it like is. case scenario, well, what would you do? And it's funny because even myself personally over time, I'm more drawn to quality over quantity when it comes to buying, which is not actually wasn't my mindset when I first started investing. I was like, Numbers. get in, get as many properties as you can. And, and then the reality of it, I was like, no, nah, this is not, like I can't keep going for the small fish. I need yeah. a couple of big fish in the mix. Let's expand on that after the break. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So when you first start investing, you're like, give me the numbers, I'll, I'll go to the local barbecue and how many properties you got now, Emily, right? I'm up to six and I'll build it to 10 and all of a sudden I'm on the front page of Australian Property Investor Magazine. That's not me, by the way. Yes. <laughs> no, but that's what a lot of people think, don't oh, they? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people see the numbers, they don't realise the work that goes in behind that and the hassle and all of that. And it probably wasn't until like I, when I bought my third, I was like, right, the next one, which will be my next purchase, will be something that's a higher value proposition. I'm not going for, for numbers now. I'm going for... Not to live in to another investment? Oh, I grapple with this all the time. People yeah. who follow on Instagram are probably like, what the hell is she doing? Like <laughs> I was buying an Airbnb, then I was buying my own home. Ultimately, I know the property I want to buy for my own home is probably going to come up once a year. Yeah. I know that. It's very rare what I want. And so... I'm almost nervous to go and buy another investment property because what if my dream home comes up yes. in the meantime? Yeah, and that's one of the points that I made here today is when are you going to buy your principal place of residence in all this kerfuffle of mm. eight to ten properties that I'm aspiring to? And it, it's a big question on people's lips because undoubtedly when you're building a portfolio of this nature, you're rent vesting. Yeah, you, you're, totally. Unless you have a lottery win and you buy your own a rock and then just save for investment properties after that, you're essentially going to be rent vesting to build this portfolio, right? So when we're doing that, we've always, we should have in the back of our mind, when are we likely to want our own home and always have cash carved off for that when you want to make that purchase so that you're, in your example, if it came up next week, mm. you've got the ability to execute. If I go and buy this next investment property, I've spoken to the mortgage broker, it's not going to impact this principal place of residence purchase and away I go. And I keep trending that way so we're not backing ourselves into a corner. It's like, oh, damn, I want to buy my PPR now. I'm going to have to sell three of these properties. The, the whole strategy is now derailed. Yeah, we don't want that to happen. Don't want the ultimate dream home to come up and then shatter the rest of your longer term planning because it's not ideal. But it is a balance. I know a lot of people grapple with this. And also, just to state the obvious, like a lot of people who are single also struggle with this because what if they meet someone? And it's not that you should rely on meeting someone by any means, but your accommodation and needs change when you meet someone. So you don't want to go and buy what your PPR dream home is right now on your basis to then maybe have to flip it to an investment in a few years time because it might not be the best investment, even though it's the best place for your home. So there's a constant like, when do I buy? <laughs> yeah, so the 600 versus 300 example. Yes. If you go and buy a 600K property, invariably it's going to be a better quality asset than a 300, either type or location, one of the two. What's the downside of that in these current interest rate times? 
when the rates are up, the amounts are much more significant on that 600. Mm. Well, if you've got two 300, not so much, but you know, if you buy one versus at 300 versus one at 600, the impact is also the fact you've got money tied up in one asset mm. at that point in time. So trying to pull money out can be harder. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think the yield is in a lot of cases lower than as the property price increases, the yield on that property would decrease somewhat. So that also limits people's ability to go and buy that because like, okay, I can't handle the holding costs Mm -hmm. with interest rates at 6%, for example. So this is where the 300K property becomes a little bit more exciting because, hang on a minute, this is only going to cost me $100 a month to hold this property. Now I'm a property investor building a portfolio and I only needed 45K of my own money and I can still run my life as as I've normally done and it allows me to get into the market sooner. Yeah, I think it's a first one, definitely. I mean, that was literally my first property was 335K. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. And that was, mine was like, my idea was what is the best possible property I can get for the lowest price, really? And so, and funnily enough, with all these rate rises, that one hurts me the least in comparison to my other purchases because purely because of the purchase price and, you know, where the loan's sitting. That's right. And if you look, and we've got a mortgage repayments calculator as as anyone else would have, but when you look at your principal and interest repayments on 300K versus interest only on 300K, the number is so minute, isn't it? The difference between that might be like $150 a month or $200 a month. It's not a, a game changer. Whereas you have a 600K mortgage, all of a sudden principal and interest is much higher than your interest only. So imagine you could have a portfolio where principal and interest, your tenants are paying down the mortgage for you Mm. as well as the running costs of your portfolio. Would that be a good outcome? Sounds all right to me. Sounds great to me. So I think that's the ultimate. If you've got that happening and your portfolio is growing in value, lifestyle-wise you can go and do what you want. Yeah, you're not hamstrung to your property portfolio. And that's, I think, the key in all of this. Mm -hmm. Don't look at the numbers. Look at what do you want your portfolio to look like from a lifestyle point of view and a cash flow point of view. Yeah, what does it offer you? What's Mm. the end goal? How does it fit into your needs, wants, all that sort of stuff? Which goes against the grain for a lot of experts. You talk to a lot of accountants and like, well, we need to negatively gear this high income you've got. I just sort of roll my eyes at those sorts of strategies because it's just like, but why? What, like, why is that, you know, I get tax benefits, but the idea around the fact that people should try and pay less tax, if you're paying a lot of taxes, it means you're making a lot of money. Like- it, it is a good problem to have, but I agree with you. And I think a lot of people's high incomes come as a result of a high output yeah. of work hours, stress, et cetera, et cetera. And usually that's not sustainable. Yep. So whilst it's 300 grand a year now, mm-hmm. they might not want it to be in 10 years' time. Mm-hmm. And when 10 years' time comes and we've gone in with this negative geared strategy, all of a sudden, hang on a minute, I'm actually tied to this job. If I don't continue earning this money, I'll have to sell the, my whole portfolio and then start again. Yeah. I think negative gearing can only work for so long. It has a time limit on it and... Ultimately, I would assume for most people, their property portfolio is something they build so that they can live off it, you know, to some degree, a portion of their life. When they've hit that 
you know, final quarter on seeing their results, that they have systems and processes in place within that portfolio that allow them to live the life they want to live. Yeah, 100%. And I think you mentioned it before about the, the portion of their life, but but also the derailing of that strategy. Let's make sure it's right from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and the only way we know that is to look out into the distance and say, well, what does Emily want in 20 years' time? What does John want in 20 years' time? Because they're going to be two completely different outcomes. So what do we as an individual want? And you may not know exactly what it is, but you might just hang your hat on a a dollar figure to Mm -hmm. say, well, I want my portfolio to be worth X or I want my cash flow in my life from property to be X or Mm -hmm. something that's going to give you the motivation to know to get past half time. Yeah. And once you get into that final quarter, which is 45, 50, 55, whatever, age is no barrier, but um, you've then start to have choices because you've made good decisions 10 years ago. I think that's the biggest thing is property can equal freedom Mm. if done right. And more often than not, we hear the stories that, oh, my mum and dad lost their money in property or my my friend did this but it didn't work so it mustn't work at all sort of thing. Now, we see a lot of the good stories and the good stories are people that have strategized to begin with and, and that's, I suppose, the message that we want to bring home today. But in finishing, I want to just quickly summarise the things we need to take into account if we're going to build a multi-property portfolio. The big ticket items, the risk profile, the serviceability, which is essentially your income, and the cash flow in your property portfolio. Understanding when you may want your principal place of residence and stay cash heavy for that at all times. Having buffers, we talk about emergency buffers in our personal life, we've got to have buffers for our whole portfolio. So if we've got one property, we need a small buffer. If we've got 10 properties, we need a larger buffer because we've got, as you alluded, 20 toilets Toilets. now, (laughs) not not eight. (laughs) We've got to put the work in to find the best property managers possible because they are, in some cases, the missing link to the whole portfolio because the good ones will make your portfolio run smoothly, the bad ones will mess it up completely. Yeah, and you don't need to screw them down on their fees. Good ones are worth it. It's important to have good people on your side because I would not have a multi-property portfolio and be managing them myself. Absolutely not. Well, that's interesting, that, because a lot of people want to do that. They, they Why? Want to, well, I don't know. I personally wouldn't do it. I could think of anything worse. I don't know. They get to age 55 or 60 and say, right, now I've quit my day job and I'm going to manage my portfolios for a living. The problem I have with that is you can only be in one place at one time. And so if you have done it properly, chances are you've got properties all dotted all over Australia to diversify. Mm. So if there's an emergency and you're the point of call or you need to know someone, even time differences, you know, different states, the cost of having a property manager is worth it for my sanity. Yeah, I think so. But understanding, I suppose, at the end of the day, when you're not working and you're retired and you're not earning income, where is that income coming from? Because you can't claim any tax benefits if you're not earning income. So <laughs> yeah. you, again, it's a great time to be able to sit down with your accountant mm. and one that's got a can-do attitude and say to them, look, I want to build a portfolio here of $3 million or $2 million or whatever it might be. Yeah. 
what factors do I need to take into play and understand or tell them that this is my goal. I want to do this in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years so they can see exactly what that pathway may look like for you, which will help you in designing that strategy as well. I think one of the biggest takeaways from what we've spoken about is purely at the very start understanding, is this for you, you know? As yes. you asked me at the opening, does 15 properties scare you or excite you? And I think that's a really important question to be asking yourself before you start tracking down a road of property investment mm. of multiple properties. It's a bit different when maybe just buying one or two, but multiple, like, are you actually in this? Because once you commit, you can't really back out quite quickly. You need to buy, commit, hold long term. So be yes. prepared for the long ride. Yeah, and it may be a little bit of strategic investing as well. The times where your mind says yes, but the banks say no. Mm. So it might be a case of joint ventures. You, you yep. may include some of those. And there, there are some lenders out there at the moment that will take into account that you own 50% of the asset, but only hold 50% of the debt. Yep. Whereas previously, most lenders have said, you own 50% of the asset but 100% of the debt. So your servicing yeah. is dramatically reduced. Which is a very silly, I mean... That's harsh, isn't it? Yeah, it's very harsh. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like anything, there where there is a will, there's a way. But I think the ultimate outcome for building a portfolio is if you can have a situation where principal and interest is being paid for by the tenant... Yeah. ...and all the running costs and you can focus on your own mortgage or traveling or whatever you want to do and the growth is continually just trickling along while you're sleeping that is an unbelievable outcome and it will do things for you that you never thought was possible and come the other end of the the story when the siren's gone using a sporting analogy today right (laughs) you can say right i'm going to sell one every two years or not sell any yeah but you've got choices and you can pass that down to next generations, but whatever floats your boat. So we wanted to, I suppose, build a bit of a picture today of what is possible, but also understanding what you want and look just further out than the next 12 months because you mentioned it before, Emily, you get bogged down in the first few years of investing and it's like, oh, is this what it looks like? This is pretty boring right now. Like it's not giving me instant results that I'm that I'm after. And that's why I said you need to surround yourself with people who have done it or at least hear stories of people who have done it. On that note, if you're listening to this and you're a multi-investor, like you've got, you know, let's say more than five properties under your belt, yeah. reach out because yeah. I'd love to speak to you and understand your that's mind. But yeah, I think like anything in life, if you want to learn how to do it, talk to someone who's done it. So yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think getting past that pain is key. All right. So hopefully you've taken something from that. If you want more episodes around building a portfolio, happy to come in with different points of view on that because um, we've got plenty of stories to tell. Thanks for tuning in. If you've got anything that you want to add to the show, jump in the Facebook group and uh, post a comment or a question and Emily will answer it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the handball, John. Appreciate it. No <laughs> Love it. All right. Until next time. See ya. Bye.
We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.